everyone in Sydney. I miss you guys. I love you guys. If you are new, stay at our church. And we, you'll be blessed. All right. Um, uh, right now, I want to uh, once again welcome up our, our guest speaker, our main guest speaker that has flown in all the way from Atlanta. Uh, for those who are just tuning in now, um, you know, he has uh, been in the ministry for over 30 years, along with his wife, Pastor Sandra. And they have flown in. Uh, they are the spiritual uh, father and mother for Pastor Robert and Diane Daniels, who are also joined us for the retreat. Uh, if you don't know who Pastor Robert Daniels is, he is the spiritual uh, father for Pastor Benjamin. And if you don't know who Pastor Benjamin is, he's the spiritual father to myself. And so we have the whole family of uh, pastors here. And we're just so excited about what God's doing uh, during this retreat. Uh, so for his uh, final message at the retreat uh, tonight and tomorrow, Pastor Benjamin will be uh, wrapping up the retreat with the last two messages. Uh, but today, uh, Dr. Kirby Clements will be delivering the word for us today. Let's put our hands together for Dr. Kirby. Come on. Father, we thank you. We thank you this day and every day and every moment and every season. Thank you for this people that you raised up far and near. Thank you for visions and dreams and revelations. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Lord. Thank you that you granted them favor. You brought us here at this time in this season to impart unto them that which you have given to us. So speak to us, speak through us. Help us to hear and to say things that will make a difference. And help us to understand things you already know about us, about our past, our present, and our future. Bring glory to your name, O Lord. You are the true and living God. There's none beside you. You're the shaper of all destinies. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, greetings to you once again. And uh, we've had the privilege of being with you these uh, last couple of days. So grateful to the Lord for all that we've seen and heard. I want to take the liberty of um, commending this church, if I can do that. Uh, I have been in all kind of churches over my many years of ministry. I've been in churches that were spiritually strong in terms of the manifestation of the spirit, supernatural things, deliverance and healing, and giving ministration of the spirit. And I've been in churches who have been uh, strong in doctrine and word, in terms of that preaching, that delivery of the word, the exegesis, and those kind of things. But I've rarely been in churches that were both spiritually strong and doctrinally strong. And it's been a blessing for me to be in such a church, the different campuses as you have here. I commend your, your leadership and your founders. I commend those of you who have worked with this work in ministry. Uh, we will be praying for you that God will make straight paths for your feet. That you will avoid 
the crisis that churches normally face. They seem to be common things. Zeal and enthusiasm are not always the, um, how can I say, the precursors of uh, success and greatness. There's a wisdom and a knowledge that's needed to navigate in this world. Um, Your battle will not be with the devil. Your battle will be with the Lord. And I want you to be clear. As long as you confirm yourself to his purpose, his design, as long as you're sensitive to his season and his ways, and he will make known his ways to you. It's one thing to see his power, but to know his ways. And when you come to those moments of decision, I pray that God will help you to know what he already knows. It would be wonderful if someone from the future came back to show us what our legacy would be and where we would end. But you have the Holy Spirit, so you lack nothing. I will say this to you. He gives you wisdom today for tomorrow so that yesterday will not be filled with regrets. I'll say that again. He gives you wisdom today to navigate into the morrow so that when you look back to yesterday, there will be no regrets. Our biggest problem sometimes is that we look back and there are regrets and dreads of the mistakes that we made. May your mistakes be minimum. May your blessings be many. And God's grace will be toward you. Amen? Amen. I want to uh, talk with you from a topic um, that I know will have meaning to you. It's been a great source of confidence to me. And um, I haven't spoken to you much about the ministry that I came from. I came from a mega church, thousands of members. We minister to people from the cradle to the grave. When I see you as young people, it reminds me of the things that I've seen, the zeal, the enthusiasm. Uh, but there's a level of gravity that I see among you that I have not seen in a lot of ministries that are young. Uh, you look young in person, but you're old in spirit. <laughs> and so I'm grateful to the Lord. It is said that there are three ways to influence human behavior. One is the imposition of external laws. This seemed to be God's way in the beginning. He had stringent laws. Well, not for the laws of God, Israel would have gone in every direction. So the law is about obeying the Sabbath. Laws about sacrifices and things of that nature. But the law is weak when it comes to the the conscience. You can give laws for your children, but once the laws are removed, they go back to their ways. It is said that when the cat is away, the mouse will play. The second way is through internal regeneration. That's when the Lord writes upon the fleshly tablets of your heart. He changes your heart. He does something with inside of you. And that's the whole salvation experience. You'll hear me say that salvation is comprehensive. It is spiritual, it is psychological, and it is behavioral. Now we need to understand this for some of the things I'm going to say to you uh, this afternoon. It is spiritual in terms of uh, regeneration, in terms of sanctification, in terms of justification. These are spiritual things that God has removed the offense between us and himself. He's changed our status. So that no longer evil has dominion over us. does not have power. It can make suggestions, but I can reject them. But then it is psychological, and that's the whole idea of Romans 12. You must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, God can bring you into his kingdom, and you can act the same way you did before you entered it. Because your mind has not been changed with new ideas, new thoughts, and new concepts. So psychological. 
And then behavior, you know that your behavior will not change until your ideas change. As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So your thoughts, your concept about God, about the devil, about yourself, about the world. Sometimes we can be so caught up with ourselves, we forget. God has brought us into his kingdom for a purpose. We're called to be light, we're called to be salt. That's why I commend you for your evangelistic zeal. You've discovered that evangelism is not only soul winning, not only church planning, but it's cultural transforming. You're called to leave your imprint upon the world. They should not just remember things about what you said, but they should see the things that you have done. It's very important. Now, with that being said, our theme has been the hidden wisdom of God. It's a very provocative theme, hidden wisdom of God. I begin by saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, I want to make an introduction or comment here. By now, you've discovered that I'm not a typical preacher. Um, I'm a conversationalist. I believe that when you preach, you should do three things. You should, first of all, you should stir the emotion. Uh, tonight, I want to give you information. I leave your excitement to you. <laughs> At any moment, you can jump, shout, dance, run, anything. Just don't fall up here. The second reason you preach is to inform the mind. I hope to inform your mind with ideas, concepts, and truths. And then number three is to command the will. I hope to get you moving in a certain direction. But I view preaching as a conversation. And I don't know how many of you have had conversations with people, but you don't talk about the same thing too long. It becomes a dull conversation. I'm not a preacher that introduces an idea and then give you ten points and give a closure. You discover by now I don't do that, never have, and I cannot. I tried years ago to preach from a whole list of notes, 32 little pages of notes. And the Spirit of God kept saying to me, I want you to preach out of your heart. I said, I'm afraid to. I said, why? Because the people, they look so mean. They would just make me lose my, my attention span. I, I can't. And, and they, 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 I get going, and if I don't have my notes, I forget my name. I forget where I am. What, what time is it? And I was preaching in St. Louis, Missouri, and all of a sudden I had these notes, and I had not numbered the pages, and I accidentally hit the notes, and they fell to the floor. One of the things you do when all of your life is on pages is that when the pages are scattered, you should talk as fast as you can. <laughs> because if you speak fast, you try to remember all the thoughts. But that taught me a lesson. I cannot choreograph all the Lord would say. I am a... Study of scripture. I've given myself to much prayer. There are many things that I can preach on. I've never preached a message in my life, nor a sermon. But I preach things the Lord has put in my heart. So I will wonder. I will wonder. Because as Brother Benjamin said, by wisdom you build the house. I will wonder through many different rooms. But I can make you this promise. When I finish, I would have touched you. When I finish, I would have spoken to your heart, your mind, and your soul. And when I finish, I would have revealed the mind of the Lord. And then I could rest this night. So I make that uh, fundamental disclaimer. I'm a conversationalist, not a preacher. So if you're taking notes, hopefully you will start to take fast because I'm going to start speaking at about 85 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm talking about as slow as I will talk for the rest of the time. Okay? That's something called the scandal of peculiarity. It's the power of God to conceal and to heal. God chooses when he desires to reveal things. That's the whole premise of Ephesians 3. 
Paul said, you know my grace in the Lord, how by revelation he made known to me and to other prophets things that he hid from the rest of you. God chooses to speak to certain people at a certain time and not to speak to others. It's the sovereignty of God to choose one and not to choose the other. Jacob have I chosen, Esau have I hated. God can choose to say something that uh, all of us want to hear, but he doesn't choose to do it. And so during this conference, we've been talking about wisdom, about wisdom and understanding. I want you to understand very clearly here that you're New Testament believers. You're not Old Testament saints. You do not behave as Old Testament people. Some of your concepts. We don't go to the church. We are the church. The Holy Spirit is poured upon all flesh. You're not simply to call for a person to pray for you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And so I want to give some principles. Because tonight I want to talk to you about spiritual intelligence. Spiritual intelligence. I believe the Lord has brought you to, a, to the kingdom for such a time. Spiritual intelligence. Spiritual intelligence. What is it? What is it? And my objective obviously by now you know is to stir your consciousness. I want to talk to you about this topic because of some activities that have occurred. Um, I said to you at the beginning of the conference, this would be an unusual conference for you. And uh, two words you need to write down in the margin of your paper. One is called the ideal, the other is the exception. As leaders, we're called to declare the ideals of God. The ideals of God in terms of righteousness and holiness, what his will should be. We're called to declare to you that when you're born again, according to the biblical pattern, as a biblical pattern to salvation, Acts 2, read Acts 8 when you go back this evening. Jesus gave Peter keys. And he said, these keys will unlock the door. No one said what they were, but let me give them to you. Number one, gospel preaching. Number two, faith. Because faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? By now, you know the quality of your faith is dependent upon what you hear. You can hear an inferior gospel. You can hear a lesser gospel. You can hear a partial gospel. And if you hear a gospel that only talks about one aspect of redemption, then your faith will be partial. So it comes by preaching the full counsel of God. Then faith comes. But you need to understand that faith must be followed by something called repentance. Repentance. Faith and repentance are inseparable. One of the reasons that people can have great faith and they don't see benefits and that they refuse to repent, to acknowledge their wrong, their error. Repentance must come. And then there's something that happens that sometimes we miss, and this is the norm. It's called deliverance. Deliverance. Very important that you understand that if people are saved according to the pattern, they get delivered of demons on this side. So that when they enter the kingdom, they enter filled with the Holy Ghost and not a temple of spirits. The next thing that happens is that they are baptized in the Holy Ghost. Light and darkness should not be in the same place. I'm talking about the ideal. Once they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're baptized in water. Not necessarily in that order. And then, believe it or not, once that happened, they were incorporated into a believing community. Now, that is the biblical norm for salvation. That doesn't always occur for people. Some people are saved when the lights are dim and the organ is playing. And someone said, would you like to meet Jesus? And they not knowing who Jesus is because they've not heard a gospel preach. Because they've not heard a gospel preach, they've not received faith. They've not received faith, they can't repent. And if they don't repent or have faith, they can't be delivered of the Spirit. So they walk down and say, I'm saved. 
but not according to the biblical pattern. That's the exception. And that's why we're seeing a lot of aberrations in the church. I need to say something because uh, last evening we had a display, and I understand that. I written a book on discernment because I spent many years in studying demonology. I needed to understand it. I wanted to understand what salvation had done, what Jesus had done. When he said, whom the son has set free is free indeed. I need to know what does that really mean? When he said, great is he that's in me, I need to know what does that mean? And I've been in meetings when people would do all kinds of things. Unfortunately, it never happened to me. Until one time I was in a meeting and I was preaching like I'm speaking now. And this woman gets up and starts speaking in tongues. Just going off. Just bullets. And I thought, that's unusual. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is contradicting himself. He's speaking through me. And I'm speaking to her at the same time. So that's okay. So I ignored her. Which is sometimes the best thing to do. But uh, she would not be ignored. So another woman gets up and starts giving interpretation. And said, thou shalt not resist the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God said to me, if you do not address this, it will follow you wherever you go. I said, okay, I'll address it. So I started dealing with order and structure and design. And uh, afterwards, uh, they came up to me and they apologized uh, because they had spoke out of their zeal and enthusiasm, not understanding order. See, sometimes we don't understand order. We do things irrationally. And we think it's a spirit. I was in uh, Jamaica. I forget in Jamaica. My wife had gone there for the first time because the Lord said we should take a vacation. And uh, I didn't want to go. He said, if you don't go, I'll take the money. I said, well, I'll go. <laughs> so we went. We were there. While we were there, I would go down to the market every day to buy fish so it could be cooked. I went down there one time, and all of a sudden, this man, a Rastafarian, with all of his long hair, never met me. I'd never seen him in time. He starts circling me, and he starts saying, Preacher man, preacher man, you come down here to preach to us. And I was caught off guard for a moment. But I remember something out of Psalms 2. Psalms 2 said that there comes a time when God will laugh at that calamity. So I start to laugh at him. I just start to laugh. <laughs> 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 I laughed and he stopped then he said words that gave me insight into the kingdom of doctors he said give me my respect I said oh that's what this is about you want respect you want honor you want preeminence you want to be heard you want to be seen you want to be recognized and then my mind started going down through a cascade of memories all of those times that I've seen in churches where I did not understand all of those manifestations, all those breaking, all people run down the front and doing all the kind of stuff. I said it was for a display. They wanted to be seen. Evil wants to be seen. It wants your attention. It would do anything to capture your attention. And sometimes, even when there's no spirit, still, the flesh will do the same thing. So I further began to do a study on demonology. Because I wanted to understand the difference between demon possession, demon oppression, and demon influence. Because I had to deal with it in our church. Because every time somebody acted out, they would call Brother Kirby. <laughs> Somebody's doing something, will you please come? And so I said, let me create a job description for you. I'm going to teach you. Ignore the Mark chapter 5. Stay with me, don't let your mind run. And don't fight me right now. Okay? Don't fight me yet. 
Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, there's a demoniac of Gadara. Very interesting. This man exhibited classical, how can I say, characteristics of what it means to be demon-possessed. The amazing thing is that um, when Jesus comes to him, the man had been in the tombs beating himself, scantily cold, and it's very cold. And he has unusual strength because they tried to bind him with fetters or with cords. He would break them. And so that taught me at least five characteristics of people who are demon-possessed. Number one, supernatural strength. This man would break the cords as if they were nothing. Number two, different voices came out of him. Number three, he had an ability to know something that nobody told him. He knew Jesus. But notice he did not want to be around Jesus. You better make note of this. He did not want to be around Jesus. And number four, number four, he was self-destructive. He would beat himself. He would cut himself. Beat himself and he would cut himself. And here's the most important one. When the demons were cast out of the man, the man was found to be in his right mind, sitting by the feet of Jesus. I discovered that when there's true demonic possession at the name of Jesus, it must bow. Now, there's one example where they brought this boy to Jesus because his father had taken him to, number one, the disciple, and they couldn't cast him out. Remember now, I'm talking about the norm and the exception, talking about spiritual intelligence. I'm going to get into what I need to talk to. This is preliminary. He said, why couldn't we cast them out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And he rebuked the spirits. In my book on discernment, and you can go on Amazon.com. I think you might be able to find that there. I discovered that there are many reasons for abnormal or irrational behavior in people. When you look at demonology, there's two extremes. One is that it doesn't exist. There are no demons. So everything, irrationality or abnormal behavior, you must treat by medicine or you must get doctors or you must have some scientific explanation. That's one dimension. The other side is that there are no demons, there are no spirits. So when something goes wrong, somebody's sick, they act strange, we give them pills, we go to a doctor, we get technology. I think both extremes are wrong. There needs to be a marriage between the two. Because see, I need to know when a spirit is present, when one is absent. I've dealt with people who had chemical imbalances. Medication. You cannot medicate a demon and you can't cast out flesh. And so many times they had gone and they had gone to Pentecostals who had rebuked the demon, who had cast out devils and bound them and they were no better. Because, see, I don't know about you, I put a high premium on the name of Jesus. At that name, every knee will bow. At that name, every tongue will confess. At that name, every demon bows. And at that name, every demon shuts his mouth. At that name. And so I put a high premium on it. And so I had to discover when I ran across people with chemical imbalance. I need to understand that. I understand schizophrenic behavior. I do understand that. I'm dealing with a young girl right now with multiple personalities. But it's something about the overriding presence of the Holy Spirit that subdues things. Now make no children. Don't ever be afraid of evil spirits. I commend this work and this ministry where you care of those who need to be delivered. Because many times, people who are the greatest leaders today were once possessed by demons. They were set free by the power of God. But make note of this, and this is the warning. Be careful because evil and sometimes flesh can so command your attention that it will wear you out. 
I've had people in our church sometime. They always got a problem, always got a challenge, always got every, every kind of thing. They would call me two and three o'clock in the morning. And I had pastors who loved to minister to them. But after about six months, you get tired of that 3.30 a.m. phone call. And so I had to let them know, hear me carefully, you have absolute power over your own ideas, your own thought, your own behavior, and your own beliefs. Let's get this straight. You've been set free. And so I just wanted to present that to you because, number one, when I said that I don't believe Christians can have demons, I stand by that. Especially if you come into the kingdom according to the Acts 2, Acts 8 pattern. The gospel is preached. Faith, repentance, deliverance here. Deliverance here, deliverance here. Then you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and in the water. Then incorporate into a believing community. Evil can influence your mind, often through false philosophy, false thought, false ideas, false media presentation. That's something called spiritual propaganda. That's even sometimes foolish preachers who make you believe that evil still has power. It has no power. The name of Jesus is above all. I commend you as a ministry. God is going to use you to transform thought. He's going to use you to transform practices. Use you to transform ministry. And you won't stumble and make the same mistakes that predecessors have made. And you won't allow yourself to be preoccupied with lesser things. Lesser things. You'll be caught up with greater things. You won't be caught up with lesser things like spirit operation, those kind of things. And sometimes when you allow people to be responsible for their behavior, they will stop. The man in the Corinthian church who was sleeping with his father's wife, they said he had the spirit of lust. Paul said he doesn't have a spirit of lust. He's failed to discipline in himself. He needs to understand if he continues that behavior, we'll put him out of the church. And they put him out of the church. He repented. Sometimes you must hold, hold people accountable for their behavior. When you do that, that will be changed. Ask my grandchildren. They knew when you act irrational and disobey. That's something called the application of stimulation to the protoplasmic part of their body. <laughs> Let me carefully. Beating is still an acceptable behavior of discipline. In fact, I think a good whooping sometimes is a form of deliverance. I found that to be fact. <laughs> Did I make myself clear? Spiritual intelligence, what is it? I'd like to believe that I'm a fairly intelligent man. I have an IQ, and I understand science, technology, and things of that nature. I haven't mastered the computers quite yet. I think they're demon-possessed. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, I have an IQ. But I discovered that you can be intellectual, and you can be an intellectual genius, but yet be ignorant of the things of God. In fact, you can have knowledge without reverence. That's called arrogance. And so I had to understand, what is this thing called spiritual intelligence? Because the Lord asked me to research it. He asked me to research it at a time late in my life. Spiritual intelligence, believe it or not, is not religious. Hear me carefully, not at all. It is an understanding of the divine human connection. It's a comprehension of the benefits of this whole salvation experience. Who are we children and where are we going? What are we to do? What has God done for us? What power has he given to us? Why is the Holy Spirit here? I had a talk with some of you during the break sometime and we were talking about speaking in tongues. And they were caught up with the fact that in some places they said if you don't speak in tongues you don't have the Holy Ghost. No, that's not true. You need to understand that tongues is not the sole evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The devils speak in tongues but they can't manifest the fruit. Hear me carefully. 
I says the fruit. And I said, also, you need to understand that about speaking in tongues and just speaking out and all those kind of things. I said, when you pray in tongues, Paul said, I pray in tongues more than you all. It's for your own personal benefit. But Paul said, I'd rather speak one word of understanding than a thousand words in tongues, unless you give the interpretation. When you pray in tongues, you're building up yourself. I said, but you need to understand that the presence of the Holy Spirit does not exclude, number one, the need for a sound mind. Because see, you receive the Holy Spirit as power, not as intelligence. The intelligence of God is to be found in the scripture. And I said, after all, there are ten gifts, not nine. They said, no, no, there are nine. I said, there are ten. He said, there are nine. He got his Bible. Said, there's ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Nine. He said, there's nine. I said, no, there are ten. He said, what is the tenth? I said, common sense. <laughs> and that's the one we rarely use. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit is no substitute for a sound mind. Children, we must learn to think. You cannot deny the obvious. And so spiritual intelligence teaches me not only to deal with spiritual things, but natural things. Spirituality does not exclude, hear me carefully, uh, natural things. We live between two worlds. We need to understand that there are things seen, that things not seen. You have the privilege to know things to come. You have the power to understand the things of God. But that comes by, number one, by the studying of the scripture. So when I speak of spiritual intelligence, it means to maintain a tension between word and spirit. I said at the beginning, I've gone in churches where they're strong in word, they're weak in spirit. Others that are strong in spirit, weak in word. There's something called spiritual equilibrium. Spiritual equilibrium is the balance between things, such as church and kingdom. You can have a church full of people, but do no kingdom business. Because the kingdom of God always speaks of the revelation of God's purpose. It always talks about how God is involved with us. And it must give us a strategy by which we can respond to God. And so you can be doing church work, but not be doing kingdom work. Because the kingdom work always speaks of laws and legislation transforming culture. I've seen churches who just massive churches. But the society around them is going to pot. That's not doing kingdom business. More caught up with their own local things than about the world. God is a world class person. He changes the world. God doesn't have a religion. Does that shock you? Does it shock you that God is not Baptist? Praise God. <laughs> not Methodist and definitely not Pentecostal. Does that shock you? He's a world class person. Religion is our effort to reach God. That's why we have so many today. And so when you talk of spiritual intelligence, you talk about the power to understand spiritual things and natural things. How to maintain a balance and a tension between word and spirit. Because see, all word, no spirit is dead intellectuality. All spirit and no word is fanaticism. Have you seen that? You've seen people who have all word, but they have no spirit. Intellectual, but stupid. You've seen people who have more spirit. But they have no understanding of the word. Fanaticism. And so spiritual intelligence maintains the balance. Spiritual intelligence teaches me to be sensitive. Make note of the sensitivity. Sensitivity is to be aware of people around you. It's called otherliness. You need to be aware of people. You walk into a room. You have no sense of what's around you. That's why the word said, be careful. You could be entertaining angels unaware. How many times we are caught up in things that we think are significant? The Lord gave me a principle. He said, I want to teach you how to find significance in insignificance. Sometimes we are swayed by the great sounds, the great massive people, people who would come in, who have a persona. And sometimes we miss the presence of the Lord because he come in unobtrusive, unknown, not saying anything. Not the loud sound, not the breaking of the rocks, but a still small voice. We must learn to be sensitive to the climate around us. Sensitivity must be cultivated. What challenges sensitivity is pride. 
Pride deludes you. Greed consumes you. Jealousy blinds you. Sensitivity awakens you. Young couples, be sensitive to one another. Sensitive to one another. I said that tonight. Marriage is war. Marriage is challenge. Marriage is for grown people, not children. And sometimes in a marriage, we become insensitive to one another. Then you see her. When she said something to you, you ignored her. Then you see her eyes. Oh, I didn't see it. Where were you looking? Well, I was caught up with something. You were caught up. You missed it. Then you see him when you said what you said. He asked you, how do you like my shirt? You said, take it back. (laughs) We have lost the art of sensitivity. Spiritual intelligence teaches me to hear the sound of the words, but to listen to their meaning. Sometimes we hear people's words, but we don't know the meaning. See, words communicate thoughts and ideas, and we must interpret the meaning sometimes. Spiritual sensitivity means that we must be aware. Be aware how God is moving among us. Be aware. I've been very much aware since I've been here. I've sensed all kinds of spiritual dynamics. I listen. My ears are always attuned. Because as a dentist, I have to listen. Listen to my patients. They come into my office to bring their whole life. They bring their whole world. And sometimes they think that I'm the cause of their problems. Because when they act out and say things, I have to be sensitive and understand that what I'm seeing didn't start in my office. Sometimes their fear, their anxiety started long before. The Lord, when they were children, how many of you go to the dentist regularly? Raise your hand. Don't lie in the house of God. How many of you go to the dentist regularly? How many of you are afraid of the dentist? Raise your hand. How many of you don't like the dentist? How many of you don't think dentists are of God? (laughs) Who's God? See, that's why all dentists suffer from depression. Because we know you all don't like us. One woman came off. She said, I just want to make one point to you. I hate dentists. She said, I don't have nothing, nothing against you, Dr. Clemens. I said, but I'm a dentist. Well, that's your problem. I hate dentists. <laughs> Sensitivity means that I must be aware of the cause. See, children, you can never give a proper diagnosis, another, a proper treatment, unless you discover the cause that people are doing. When people react, when they do things, why? When people say things, why? I've been in meetings sometime when people resisted opposition. People said, well, you're fighting against me. You're standing against me. No, no, no. Just because people come against you doesn't mean that they're against you. Sometimes they just need more information. Did you hear what I said now? Because sometimes we think that if people disagree with us, they're at odds with us. They're not odds with you. They just need more clarification. They want to make sure you're not going to lead them into a ditch. That's really all. And that's why I take the time to listen. Spiritual intelligence teaches me to, number one, to see, to hear what people are saying. Watch their body language. Watch what they're saying. Look at their history, how they respond. That's why I'm so high on you rap artists. How many rap artists do we have in here? You know, rap artists in here? I heard one tonight, rap. Stand to your feet, rap artists. Stand. Just got one, just got two. Got three, four. Five, six, yo, I want to tell you where I'm going to say, let you know the Lord is going to come your way. That's as far as I can go. If you as rap artists will be sensitive to the spirit of God, you'll touch nations. You'll take music, but you'll put the words. And the words will be an expression of the prophetic mind of God. You speak things and reach in the hearts of a generation that does not want to hear. You persuade nations by your words. By your, you can communicate more of the gospel than we can. Just by giving a few things with a few beats. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? It doesn't cause you to do anything. All you need is be to stomp your foot and listen to a drum. You are the 21st century prophets. That's who you are. You're called to communicate ideas. Spiritual intelligence teaches me to recognize gifts and callings. Gifts and callings. Sometimes gifts and callings are in the rough. Did you know you can be gifted and not yet called? Some people think because I'm gifted, I'm called. Gifted but not yet called. God is the one that commissions. It's amazing that he can equip us before he commissions us. And hear me carefully. You cannot be commissioned until someone else commissions you. Book of Acts, they said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work where until I call them. Someone else said that. It's good for you to hear someone else that sends you. But spiritual intelligence also teaches me something about spiritual momentum. See, we can all be stagnated. And I pray this church never gets stagnated. I pray that you never become enamored with where you are. It's very easy, children, to become that. Very easy to become comfortable with yourself. Even in your life, even in your relationship. I asked the man one time, when was the last time you told your wife that you loved her? He said, when we got married. I said, well, how long ago was that? Well, we've been married 15 years. 15 years? <laughs> They've stagnated. They flatline. Don't flatline. Continue to grow. And in order to grow, you must always remember where you come from. Always be aware that Christianity is a progressive faith. We go from glory to glory. So you need to understand spiritual momentum. That is, in order for you to move forward, something in front of you must be greater than what's behind you. They asked me one time, what is it that you can do that cause people to continue to move forward? When that which is set before them is greater than that which is beside them, they will continue on the journey. For the glory set before him. He endured the contradictions of sinners. He endured the negative benefits of the cross. He did not allow the options on either side to command his attention because what was before him was greater. <clears throat> What's before you is greater. Don't let any alternative hinder you. Don't let the rejection of people, hear me carefully, unless they have nail prints in their hand, a thorn print in their brow, they are not Jesus. So their words are simply their opinions. And if you don't value the person, their opinion shouldn't bother you. I pray that the vision before you will be so clear and it'll be a constantly unfolding vision. Spiritual intelligence teaches you to read visions and to read dreams. All of us have visions and dreams. Sometimes they're simply nightmares from bad food that you ate. It was not a prophetic dream. It was not a spiritual dream. You must learn to write dreams down. I need to learn to interpret. Spiritual intelligence teaches me that all dreams are symbolical. Some are literal. I have a dream once time. I had a very caustic neighbor. Caustic. He claimed that part of my property was his. And he was one of the men that I prayed, God forgive me, that God would kill him. And I, you know, I know that that's not of the Lord. But I said, God, if you kill him, I won't be blamed. <laughs> And I had this dream. And in the dream, I was whooping. You know what I mean? Whooping. <laughs> whooping. Whooping the man. And I wake. And I wish that the dream was literal. But it was not. Sometimes you've had dreams. Many of you had dreams. You have dreams of houses, dreams of cars. Anytime you have a dream of a house, the dream speaks of you, your life, your ministry. If you have a dream that has three floors, the bottom floor speaks of the natural. Second floor speaks of the soul. Top level speaks of the spirit. If you ever have a dream in a top floor, on the top floor, which is your spirit, there's a lot of furniture is in confusion. It means you have spiritual confusion. 
If you ever have a dream of a car and somebody else is driving because the car represents your life, that means that you're not in control. Somebody else is driving your life. So you need to understand the implications of dreams. I had a dream one time. I was running from a lion. A lion speaks of authority, speaks of force. I was running from the lion. And I was running as fast as I could. Then I came a time I stopped and turned and took up a stone and crushed the lion's head. And I wake. And I thought, what does this mean? Well, the lion speaks of authority. I was running from some authority God wanted to give me. And some of you are running from it. You're running from a position, running from something God wants to do to you because you don't think that you're qualified. No, you're not qualified until the Lord qualifies you. Sometimes God calls you before you even know it. Sometimes the Lord sends you before you, you comprehend who you are. You understand that? Don't have any doubt. That's why it's the couple that came up here before from uh, Australia. Yes. Don't have any doubts because you'll have self-doubt. You'll have some questions about your mind, about what you've left. It will. It'll come to you. In fact, you're wrestling with that even now. Even though we've been sent. And sometimes my emotion. Don't let your emotions rule you. Emotions simply just children. Some things they need to be, number one, disciplined. But in the capital, God is going to give you strong confirmation. Strong confirmation. Not just the word of somebody praying for you and sending you. But hear me carefully. Sometimes when somebody else tells us, we're not totally convincing ourselves. But because we respect the person, we'll do it. But God is faithful to give us confirmation that he is the one that's done this. Not a man, but the power of God. And you'll bring much fruit. Hear me carefully. The church will grow. It will expand. Because Australia is under the mind of God. It really is. I have a pastor there. And the place is ready for God. Australia is not down on it. They're up over. <laughs> up over. Spiritual intelligence teaches you. Spiritual intelligence teaches you how to distinguish. Hear me carefully. Between times and season and between psychic phenomena and Pentecostal power. You need that. When do I know if it's the Holy Ghost? And when is it a demon? When is it? I don't know, but many of you, you might have gone to a psychic, a palm reader. That's what Saul went to. Went to the witch of Endor. Some people said that was the Lord speaking. Oh, that was a spirit. Religious spirits can tell you things to come, especially if they're causing it. I forget in my dental practice, a woman came to me one time. She said, I can read your mind. I said, oh, you can? And then, you know, by that time you start shutting down all of the thoughts. She said, I can tell you th- bad things are going to happen. I can tell you when people are going to have accidents. And I thought to myself, that is something. And the Spirit of God said to me, help her. I said, how am I to help her? He said, help her. Well, I said, well, can I pray for you? That's always a good place to pray. So. Because see, prayer reveals your concept of God. Hope you hear me. Prayer tells me what you think about God. That's why I listen to you when you pray. It tells me if you think God is a genie, if you think God would do everything, anything, if you think God would do your work, that's something called divine liability and human responsibility. That's some things that God would not do. God would not bring that woman freedom. He said for me to do it. And I haven't done it before, so I just prayed for her. Because I asked her, I said, now, you wouldn't want anything bad to happen to you. She said, no. I said, I prayed for her. I just prayed that I don't know what I prayed. I guess I prayed uh, she'd be set free, that God would come into her life. So, fine. She left one away. She came back in my appointment for three weeks later. And I asked her, I said, well, how are things going? She said, you know, I told you before I used to be able to see things. I can't see things anymore. Because believe it or not now, she had a familiar spirit. You remember the woman that followed after Paul and, and Silas? You remember that? Who said, these be men of the most high God. Don't think just because someone tells you the truth that the source of it is God. Spiritual intelligence teaches you order. See, whenever somebody tells you something, you have to go back, number one, to the source. 
the content and the intent. What are they intending to do? Anything that comes from God sets you free and it comes without price. We have some prophets right now in the States now. They're charging people to give you a prophetic word. Come. $10, I'll give you a prophecy. $100, I'll give you a good prophecy. $1,000, I'll tell you the word of the Lord. And they ask me, is that of God? I say, it's the perversion of a gift. Hear me carefully, children. Gifts and callings should be sanctified, but they're not always. Sometimes people can have gifts of God and still pervert them. Our problem is we wonder how long will they do that. Hear me carefully. You cannot continue in unrighteousness long without reaping the benefits. Ecclesiastes says this. Because God doesn't execute a judgment on your carnality, don't think you're getting away with anything. God gives you time to repent. And so when you're talking about the difference between Pentecostal power and psychic phenomena, how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? Well, make note, I can always tell you when psychic powers are at work or evil powers at work. Make note of these things. Number one, there's always a stifling of creativity. Anytime I'm going into ministries where psychic phenomena was at work, people giving words to people to control them. Oh, I sense the Lord wants somebody in here to give a thousand dollars. Oh, I sense the Lord saying someone in here is going to give me a car tonight. Oh, I feel it. And I feel it coming right over here. And by this time, all these people getting up, moving over here. <laughs> That's prophetic manipulation. So whenever you find a stifling of creativity that is taking away people's right to make decisions. It's okay for your mother to tell you how to dress when you're four. But when you're 40, I think something's wrong with that. The other is a fostering of, of hemicaphy, uh, fostering immaturity. That's what that means. And the other is what I call a narrowing of consciousness. Whenever evil spirits at work, they always want to keep you within the boundaries of fellow walls. Did you know, children, that church, I uh, like what pastor said. He said, we have an anointing for sending. I like that. See, the church is not a holding station, children. It's a receiving, sending station. You come here to be filled. You come here to be equipped. You come here to be strengthened. You come here to find yourself and to find God. And then when God releases you, but see, hear me carefully. When evil spirits at work, they don't want you to go. They'll condemn you. They'll judge you. They'll say you're going to lose your anointing if you leave from our community. You need to understand the church is not the church just of an area. It's the whole global church. God is all over the world. Then you find extreme judgmentalism, putting down people, censoring people. I don't know if you all remember Brother Jimmy Swaggart. He may be a name that's foreign to many of you. But he was a man that had a tremendous prowess of God. And all of a sudden he started criticizing everybody, putting down everybody. Everybody was wrong. Everybody was going to hell. Everybody was a demon. Everybody. But he was the only one that was righteous. And I got to thinking, wait a minute, what's going on here now? This is extreme judgmentalism. Everybody is wrong and you're the only one that's right. Now, when you find those factors at work, you got to know there's something psychic that's there. Whenever the spirit of the Lord is at work, children, hear me, Kevin, that's freedom. That's liberty. That's what I like here. Freedom and liberty. I wish I could dance with you, but no. Y'all dance too long. I mean, if you dance for maybe about uh, five minutes, I can rock and roll with you. But y'all go 20 and 30 minutes dancing. <laughs> Praise God. I like the freedom. I like the liberty that I find among you. Whenever you find the Holy Spirit, there's liberty. Whenever you find the Spirit of God, there's freedom. Whenever you find the Spirit of God, there's joy. 
Because where the Spirit of God is, that's liberty, that's joy. And that's what you have here, freedom and liberty and joy. You need to be able to detect when things are Pentecostal power, psychic phenomena. What if a prophetic word is given over you? How do you know this of God? That's something called prophetic contradiction, prophetic manipulation. This is spiritual intelligence. How do you discern if it's of God? Just because it sounds like God, thus said the Holy Ghost. The Lord is speaking to you right now. I sense the Lord has called you. He's called you to the nations. He's called you to touch the world. He's called me to touch the world, to touch the nation. I've heard prophecies like that. And you got to understand that sometimes prophets speak out of their own doctrine. Sometimes they speak out of their own heart. That's why you must discern, number one, the authenticity of prophecy. Are you hearing me now? Are you hearing me? Am I speaking too fast? Am I saying too much? Are you lying? Hmm. That's what I thought. (laughs) You must discern prophecy. Discern the source. And you can't always determine the source of prophecy, simply the fact that it comes to fast, come to pass quickly. One thing about prophecy that I discern is that in a multitude of counsel, there's something called prophetic consensus. Don't make a decision based upon one word. God is not shy of giving you a multiplicity of confirmation. You give one word, you're to do something, that's the only word you've ever heard. Now wait for a prophetic consensus. God will send other words. They told me before, if you get one word and you act on it, hear me carefully, that's irrationality. Now, spiritual intelligence teaches us how to respond. Spiritual intelligence teaches me something about worship. I said in this house, true worship is obedience to God. It's not your singing, not your song, not your dancing. That's not all. That's a human response to revelation. True worship is obedience to God, just obeying God, just obeying God. But worship should not only be, hear me carefully, emotionally stimulating, but it should be intellectually Informative. We should learn something from worship. That's why I love your songs. I love your song. The last one, How Great Is Our God. How Great Is Our God. Song. I listened to the one you spoke about Jesus. The one you talked about his majesty, his sovereignty. The one you talk about the love of God. Those kind of songs liberate people. I'm glad you don't sing soulish songs. How I Got Over. I don't want to sing that kind of song. I don't want to sing songs about struggle. Because I sing songs about struggle, I might struggle some more. I don't want to do that. I like songs about victory. I like songs about joy. I like songs that talks to me about God. I like songs that testify to the goodness of Jesus. That's why I love your worship here. Stimulating, exhilarating, joy and freedom and liberty. You dance too long, that's all. Spiritual intelligence teaches you to understand times and seasons. Times and seasons. I want to tell you something, children. As always in open heaven, but there's some time that God gives something called the law of time. There's a certain time that God wants something done. And you're in the midst of a time. You're in a time war, the time zone. Zone. I said, I think last night, yesterday's maximum will be tomorrow's minimum. What you've done much yesterday will be a minimum concern of what you'll do tomorrow. In fact, you're going to start doing things at an accelerated pace. You say, can we move any faster? You will. Because God is going to give you the wisdom and the counsel in order to do that. You'll find there'll be more churches started. There'll be more doors open. And let me carefully, just because that's happening, you'll also have more trouble. Because the sign of a healthy church is trouble. Can you believe that? Even when the church is doing everything that God has called to do, there's internal trouble and conflict. But don't be bothered by that. Learn how to entertain differences. You must allow your level of accommodation to increase. 
Don't be upset just because people disagree with you. Disagreement, hear me carefully, is a sign of growth. If you're simply surrounded by people who disagree with you, you're headed for trouble. Trust me, I know. So spiritual intelligence teaches you the terms, times, and season, and the ways of God. Amen. I don't like you. Yo. She gives me the time up here. And she's giving me more time than I need. I have a few things, few things to say to you in these few minutes. that you're on is, uh, is time dated. Time dated. I don't know how you uh, are set for properties. Properties. And I hope that you're never caught up with properties or buildings. Because church is never buildings. It's always people. But there are some unusual gifts that are coming your way. Unusual gifts that are coming your way. And if you don't need them, you can send them my way. Glad to receive them. But some of them will be of the nature you cannot put in the mail or FedEx. You can't fly them that way. They have to stay here. But some unusual gifts that are coming your way. There's a period of some unusual favor that's coming your way. And this is for many of you to sit in here. We're not just speaking of the ministry. We're speaking of you. You spoke a moment ago about certain promotions and uh, benefits and jobs and things like that. You're in a place right now where that would be common, not the exception. In fact, it would be more for a report that's given almost every week. But uh, don't be so much caught up with that, because that would almost become the norm. What I want to hear more and more is how many lives have been transformed by you? How many homes have been transformed by you? I'm looking also for this to be a transgenerational ministry. I see all of the young people's young faces. I don't know if there's anyone here over 40 or 45. I know I'm the oldest person in the house. I'm 71 years of age. And, um, but I'm praying that this will be a transgenerational house. That young and the old will worship God. Because one generation must worship God before the other. The young must teach the old and the old must teach the young. I pray that the conflict of Jeroboam and Rehoboam will not visit you. That you not just listen to the counsel of those who are in your generation. But you listen to those that are older. And I'm praying an openness in the hearts of elders. To be sensitive to your plight, sensitive to your calling. That I'm praying for. I'm praying that you not be a monolithic generation given just to one. I'm also praying, also praying for transformation when it comes to the concept of women. Because spiritual intelligence teaches you God has created male and female. Gave them. They're co-equal, co-substantial, co-essential. They're both called a rule. Women should be ordained as elders and as pastors and as leaders. They'll be in the forefront of ministry. I'm praying more and more that you'll be a pioneer, that you'll be a sacred cow killer. Some of the traditions that have remained for years now, you will transform them. You'll be known as a transformer, a reformer. You'll be one that initiates change. And whenever you get stagnated and doing things the same way, I'm praying that the Lord will send me. And if you see me coming, know that you are in trouble. 
but I'm praying. But I, I want to thank God for you, for your ministry. And I know when, uh, I know when I'm finished of the Lord. I've learned this in preaching, you young preachers. When God is through talking, you stop talking. When God has said all he needs to say, you stop speaking. He gave to me something called the Jeremiah Principle. With this, I close. The Jeremiah Principle. I was asking the Lord what I should do, what I should say. And he said something clearly to me. Because Jeremiah asked him, you made me a leader of a nation, a prophet. But I'm a man that cannot speak, I'm but a child. And he said, this is what you do. What I show you, you do. What I say to you, you speak. Where I send you, you go. If I tell you to remain, you remain. When I tell you to leave, you leave. And if I tell you not to speak, you say nothing. That's simple. No other things you have to do. I pray that principle will work in this ministry. What God shows you, you'll do. What he says to you, will say away. He says you, will go. If he tells you to remain, you remain. If he tells you to be quiet, you'll be quiet. And if he tells you to leave, you will leave. If you do that, then nothing will be lacking in you. And you'll find that wisdom and revelation, hear me carefully, and understanding will be as common as the breath you breathe. It will not be something you have to pray for. God will freely give it to you. I can guarantee you that. And with that, I'm through with a minute to remain.